Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. We do this every week on Tuesdays because the podcast is inspired by the book Tuesdays with Maury, which I wrote, believe it or not, 25 years ago. Hard to believe. And the lessons that we learned along the way are still inspiring us to this day. And we try to share some of those with you every week. Lisa Goitz is with us as always, my friend and producer of this podcast. Lisa, nice to have you with us. Always great to be here. And uh, we want to welcome a special guest with us today. So, of course, Maury was a teacher. First and foremost, he was a teacher. He wanted on his tombstone a teacher to the last, and he certainly lived his life that way. His final days and final months were spent teaching about what's important in life once you really know that your life is limited, and once you know that your days aren't going to go on forever, which is something that we know, of course, but never really accept until it's right in front of us. Because if we did, we would probably do things differently. We would probably, I don't know, maybe be hiking out in the Himalayas in Nepal and <laughs> instead of just taking some photographs and coming back and showing everybody on our iPhone what a cool time we had and this amazing Sherpa we met one night, we might do something like take notice of the children there and some of the challenges that they face and the poverty that they have to overcome and decide life is short, life is with people, we should do something about it. And perhaps you might even get involved with those kids and open a school. That sounds like an alternative life to the one that you're living right now. Well, you're gonna find out a lot more about it because Maggie Doyne, who is the co-founder of the Blink Now Foundation and the Copilla Valley Children's Home and School in Nepal, did exactly that. She was 19 years old, used her babysitting money to get started. That's amazing worked, to me. Yeah, well, amazing. it's a lot of babysitting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And work with the local community to build a home for orphan children in war-torn Nepal. And uh, it has blossomed into something hugely successful. And as someone who operates an orphanage in another country, I have great respect and admiration for what Maggie is doing and I probably have a lot of stories to share back and forth. And of course, Maury would be very proud of anyone who reached out and took care of children and taught them. So Maggie Doyne, welcome to Tuesday People, the podcast. Mitch, this is such a coming together and colliding of worlds for me. I, I've read so much of your work and I have so many incredibly fond memories of just being with your books uh -huh. in Nepal and the life lessons that I took away. And 
your books live on my library shelves and my children have read them and you're just so such a special force in our lives. So I'm, I'm grateful to be here and be engaging in this conversation with you. And just, it's, it's wonderful to be around a like-minded person who I've looked up to for so long. Thank you. For- well, thank you. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> we're meeting for the first time in this podcast. So had I known, we would have asked you earlier for sure. <laughs> but- <laughs> But uh, I, I, I'm very impressed with what you've done. And as I say, as, as someone who operates an orphanage in a, in a country that's totally unlike my own country, in my case, Haiti, in your case, Nepal. So first of all, I'm sure our listeners would love to know how you literally tumbled into this. You were doing the backpack thing, if I remember correctly, from what I've read, right? Doing the, I saw a picture of you with a with backpack on and you know, it's the classic photo that we take when we're uh, in the in-between times in college or after that high school. That was your gap year, right? Yeah. yeah. Your gap year. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up a normal childhood. I, it, I'm from New Jersey. I grew up going to public school, playing sports. I had a trampoline in my backyard, had a cul-de-sac, two sisters, a dog. Everything was pretty normal. I was headed off to college. And at the very last moment, I was like, whoa, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here? Like, what am I supposed to study? How am I supposed to go spend all of this money and take out loans when I have no idea, like anything on the inside of me. And that led me to taking a gap year and traveling, which led me just to having fun. Like I didn't go out to like, you know, do anything or try to change anything. That first semester of my gap year, I like got my belly button pierced and went surfing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. As yeah, changing one the world one belly button at a time. As one should, Maggie. Oh my God. It was like so cringy. I, I mean, it was just fun and exploratory and I don't know, rite of passage in a sense. I'd never really left the suburbs of New Jersey. Um, so the world felt so big and so vast. And for my second semester, I just ended up going to India and I was a babysitter. I loved kids. I was a camp counselor. I was like, I just want to be of use and put me to work. And I ended up in the Northeast of India. And what was happening at this time was that there was a huge refugee population coming across the border from Nepal, where there was a civil war happening, which created lots of issues around human trafficking, around migrant work and child labor. Um, and just, you know, being a refugee in this world is is really, it was shell shocking to me. And I became friends with a gal who was my age, who left her country at the age of eight. And the two of us planned a trip to go to Nepal. And that's really the beginning of the journey. Mm. And I, I, I know a number of people who do work in Nepal. I've not been there myself. It's, it's on my bucket list of places to get to. But there seems to be something luring about going to Nepal and the people there that get people. I mean, these are people who, who live in Nepal's pretty much as far as far away as you can go without <laughs> starting to come back, I think, right, around the globe. <laughs> If, you, exactly. if you're going from America, right, you, it's like that, that point at which you, you can either go left or right. It's still going to take you forever to get home. <laughs> and uh, what is it about that country that hits people when they first get there and frequently inspires them to get involved, especially given the great distance? 
Yeah, there is something magical and majestic and beyond just the Himalayan mountains and the natural beauty of it all, it is the people. Um, so welcoming and humbling and just full of life and full of joy and full of, um, yeah, just all the good things. There is something really special that pulls you into the people and how welcoming they are and how resilient and strong. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interdependence, interreliance on each other. And Nepal's been through a lot of hardship. You know, it's a, a landlocked nation, entirely Himalayan, um, layers of civil war, um, and very re incredibly remote food deficit region, high child and maternal mortality rates. So <clears throat> I think when you're there, you can't help but ask the question of like, the combination of natural beauty, amazing people. And yeah, I stayed because I saw that there was something that needed to be changed. What, what makes them amazing? Uh, I mean, you constantly just get welcomed in, given a cup of tea, a meal, um, <clears throat> pride of country, pride of place. Um, I think they're the strongest people in the world. You have to be to live at altitude in the rural Himalayas. Mm. Um, very hopeful, very positive, very positive people, always looking at the glass half full type of people. Even like in, in under the worst circumstances, there will still be joy and hope and optimism. And that really drew me in. I thought it would be a good community to work with yeah. in that way. And how poor is poor? And Nepal? I think um, I have to pull the exact stat, but a majority of the poorest of the poor, I mean, we've got 80% unemployment. 90% um, of the country relies strictly on subsistence farming. The average family from the region I work in has to go to India or the Middle East to virtually work um, labor. Uh, the average earning is about $300 for a migrant season. And of course that's under very horrific conditions. Wow. Uh, we're talking less than a dollar a day, $2 and 50 cents a day. That's what we qualify as the bottom billion. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. So obviously in a case <clears throat> like that, kids are going to be doing without. Uh, now I have found in Haiti that, which is the second poorest country in the world. And this number is a pretty, similar. I have found that that whole thing about doing without, in some cases, is part of the great blessing of the kids that you get to work with. Because I always tell people, in Haiti, you get to see childhood in its purest form, because there is no internet, and there's mm -hmm. no cell phones, and there's no computers, there's no television. So all the all those things that we have here that affect the attitudes of kids, that rob them of their sense of wonder, that uh, turn their attention span into you know three seconds, that give them a cynical attitude about things or present the world to them where grown-ups are the stupid ones and kids are the smart ones and you know that we see in sitcoms all the time and things like that. There is none of that in the kids that I deal with in Haiti. And so you're dealing with such a blank, slate in terms of just hopefulness and trust 
and honesty and openness from the kids who just want to learn. They don't have any cynical uh, thoughts in their in, in their heads. And that enables you to accomplish so much if you want to, because you're not fighting against stereotypes or presumptions or anything like that. Do you find that in Nepal to be the same thing? Yeah, like there's that's the complication of this work is that there's so much that's right about the culture and the ancient mm. wisdom and the ancient knowledge. And there's so much that we as outsiders can't bring in, like, and nor should we want to. Right. I often have that conversation with uh, my children, like, don't think that the West and Americans have it all figured out. We actually don't. There's so many, so much richness um, and connectedness and yeah, just purity in a childhood <laughs> and being able to raise children there has been such a gift and so incredible. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen anywhere else. Like there's so much goodness about it. And if you're able to keep kids in their culture, in their community and preserve a lot of that, I think along with bringing children their most basic human needs and rights. Right. We also know there's the underbelly of hunger and, right. you know, lack of opportunity. So if you're able to like bring those two things together and preserve and keep and, and make sure that you're not coming in being like, let me show you a smartphone. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there ever was a badly named just, thing. Yeah, you want you want things to stay the same and that right. be what, what originally drew you into the country and it's amazing. Yeah. So how, how did you how did you actually get a school started? You know, it's it's an easy thing to observe once it's going, but what were the first early days when it just went from a concept to an actual school like? Yeah, we focused as a team on what we wanted to bring in, what we wanted to integrate, actually keeping in mind, preserving a lot of the good things and the, the parts that we wanted to maintain, a lot of outdoor education, a lot of keeping the ancient knowledge of farming and sustainability and um, play that had actually been lost because of, you know, the outside school system that brought in sticks and corporal punishment and things. Um, but we started really small. We built out of bamboo. Sometimes there's a gift in not having a lot of resources because you really focus and hone in on what's important. And um, as we built, just little by little, piece by piece, it holistically came together and um, we were able to problem solve little by little. And as we had more resources, we were able to see step-by-step step what organic changes we could bring in. We listened to the community and the locals. Um, but yeah, like everything in life, it's a grit, it's hard work. It's people coming together, um, having resources, channeling that into impact. What was your facility like on day one? Oh, we started like, as a homeschool, like basically like running out of the home. And uh, then we had a little bit of tin and some bamboo and some rocks. And we started with that. Wow. And then we grew from there. How many kids to start? We started with um, 60. And then um, today we have, we're a school of about 500. We also have a few hundred graduates out and around the world. Um, 500. Is, is, is that represent a, a great geographical area? Yeah, we serve the Karnali region, which is one of the uh, Midwestern provinces. 
and we serve um, the orphan population with the, the, the most vulnerable kids. And they come from as far away as what? Um, days walking up into the Himalayas, Humla, Joomla, far north, um, wow. especially the ones who live in residence. And then other kids come from the local community. So we try to keep kids with their families if and when possible, whether that's a grandmother and auntie, and then those kids can utilize as, utilize the community school and kids who need to live in residence, live in residence. We run a safe home for at-risk girls and a home for children as young as babies all the way up to young Wow. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are the dangers facing children in that part of the world? I think um, I would say, you know, the leading cause of death amongst children in our world, I don't think this is exclusive to Nepal, is actually from drinking dirty water, dysentery, Mm -hmm. um, lack of immunizations, malnutrition. Uh, It's a very food deficit region. Um, As you get up into older ages, we see a lot of child labor, domestic servitude, and um, human trafficking, along with early marriage. Uh, And uh, by keeping a child into school, enrolling a child in school, you're able to really mitigate those risks. And I'm preaching to the choir here, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, no, similar similar kinds of challenges there. But you're right, school is like a force field against some of that, Uh, and... uh, longer you keep them in school. That, that That's one of the reasons we don't mind our kids, uh, if they're a little older, before they graduate from high school, just that same yeah. sense of, you know, protection. Like, it's okay if you're 20 getting out of high school, because, you know, in terms of what you've seen in the world and the dangers of the world, it's good to be a little bit older and a little bit more mature and be able to handle it. And then our kids, are, in our case, our kids go on to college. 
but tell me about how um, you did this through your 20s, correct? Yeah, I started when I was 20 years old. Yeah. And so all of your 20s ended up basically being spent over there. Would you come back and forth or did you really just pitch there? For the first seven or eight years, I was living there, raising children, learning the language, really working in community. And then as we started to grow year after year, I've had to make more trips to run the nonprofit side of things in North America. Right. Um, But my, most of my life has been in Nepal. Like I've, a lot of me has grown up there right alongside. um, And how old are you now? 35. So 15, last 15 years of this. Yeah. So I want to ask some, some questions that uh, I think our, our audience would like to hear because first you did a wonderful job of, of giving a, giving us a portrait of the children that you help. Now I'm interested in a little portrait of you because I think our our listeners want to project a little bit about, well, okay, how was she able to do this? this? I've always dreamed about that. I've always thought about doing that. I've always it was a, it was an idea I had when I was a certain age. How was Maggie able to do this? And I was, you know, what, 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 what not in a not in a jealous way, but just in a you know com- comparative sort of thing. So. First thing I want to ask you is during that time, these are your 20s. I'm sure your contemporaries, your friends, the kids you were going to go to college with and all the rest of it, they're they're on a, a certain track, a certain course. They're, you know, writing each other or calling each other and saying, I'm getting, all right, getting a job. I just got my first job here. I'm making X amount of money. Uh, I'm getting married. Uh, you know, well, I'm just bought myself an apartment. How did you handle sort of being on the outside of all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the beginning, I just honestly, I did not fit in at all. And I was pretty isolated, me and my books. <laughs> in the fall. I'm so happy I wrote a couple of books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, goodness. Um, that's all I had. I, I was just, you know, in my own orbit, like really feeling my own passion and my own path. I think I was so young. I was able to really harness that energy that comes with youth, that sense of adventure, that sense of like, anything's possible. I want to learn this. I want to crack this. I want to figure this out. I think my youth and that naivete really helped in a way Mm. at the same time. um, I don't know. I'd, I'd come back occasionally and look at college culture in America. And I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Like I felt like I was still learning. I was still growing. I found mentors. I found books. I found like, I I always made this rule for myself. If my learning ever stops, then I'll, you know, go back and I'll go to college and I'll go a more traditional route. But that ceiling, I never hit that ceiling. I just felt like I was learning a lot in the field from the local people and was able to leverage what I could bring to the table. And I loved it. And I feel like a lot of times we use college to just find what we're good at or find our purpose, find our mm-hmm. meaning, find our career. And I felt like I had found that. And I felt so lucky. Like I found this thing I loved. It's working. It's changing lives. I'm part of a team. And so I kind of just got on that track and then I stayed and I feel really grateful. Um, that's, you know, what? that's such a mature outlook. I'm thinking of me as a 20 year old, you know, young woman. And it's amazing that you didn't fall to what would have been like the peer pressure of that time, you know, to see what your friends from high school were doing and then to say, Oh, you know what? I really feel the need to go do what they're doing. You were so 
wise beyond your years to take the path you took. It's that I don't I don't know how many 20 year olds do that, you know? Yeah, I think there were moments, you know, you see your friends, I, we all have a little bit of that of like, looking at your friends having some FOMO. I mean, in the beginning, there wasn't social media, thank God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that I was like, there wasn't yeah. Instagram back when you were 20. I, so. never had, I didn't have the luxury of having <laughs> FOMO because you didn't know what anyone else was doing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah. That, I mean, nowadays, I don't know if it helps or hurts. I mean, you could be sending pictures literally every minute uh, if, if you had an internet connection. Uh, and, and sometimes it helps to just feel like away, away, you know, where you yeah. can't, uh, you know, we have a lot of internet challenges in Haiti, as in it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of times that that's frustrating when you're used to like, oh, I just want to just send an email or I just want to get. But on the other hand, you realize like you have an umbrella over you. You're, you're being protected from a certain amount of rain that interrupts your life every minute and, and, and every hour. And when you can't get to it, you give up and you realize, hey, I can you know, I'm just going to live in the moment and be present. And I would imagine in Nepal there with those children, that's one thing that you don't lack that feeling is something that Maury talked about all the time about being present, that when you are talking to the children there, they're not distracted and you're not distracted because yeah. what is there to distract you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also if you had this one chance in your life, I had no mortgage, I had no college debt because I didn't go to college. Right. I was pretty free. I had a safety net back home should I need it. Like if I was ever going to go hungry, I had my babysitting money and I had this one shot at like trying to make an impact on that riverbed of kids breaking rocks and trying to, you know, hand over some of the privilege and the opportunity that I'd been given. And in the end, like I ended up with a really great team. I think that was lucky. Um, I ended up having people who believed in our vision and our mission and, it, it ended up working. Like it could have gone the other way. And I think I still would have learned a lot, and, but it, it ended up really working and really being effective and creating change in the community. Um, because as you know, a lot of it's complicated. A lot of it's also really simple. Like kids need love. They need nourishment. They need right. their most basic human needs met. And then they do the rest. And there are yeah. simple solutions to changing the trajectory of poverty in a child's life. And it's as simple as sometimes just getting a chance to go to school. So when you first went over there, you were an American, Northeast, New Jersey, suburban kid who was out of her element in a, a, a tiny enclave in Nepal. And you were the outsider and, 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 and you know, diving into that new experience. I would imagine now at 35, you are probably more that person, more the person who just wakes up every day in Nepal, taking care of children in a mountain village in a in a in a in a school that she started, than you are the New Jersey suburban girl person. That 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 identity, mm -hmm. that part of your life, feels more like the the part you visit than the part that you live. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. I've grown. It's, it, it's integrated so much into my life, my family's life, my identity. Um, actually, I don't know who I would be like, because I was 18 when I left 17. Yeah. I don't know who I would be without that life and the people in my life. And, um, 
the learnings that I've had to be on, the journey that I've had to be on. So I I've, I feel really, again, like just so grateful for it all. So mm-hmm. grateful. I, I could have, it could have ended up any other way. And of course, when something happens, you can't imagine your life without it. Being a mom, I mean, you can't imagine your life without your kids once you're right. a parent. So the, the children that you, you have 500 children that you deal with in your school. Is that correct? Yeah, that's and, right. And, and then when you refer to being a mom, just so that I'm being accurate, are, 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 have you adopted some of those kids? Do you have kids of your own? Yeah. So I, um, a part of the model is that we also run a children's home. They're mm-hmm. very much our kids. I wasn't expecting to be called mom or like take on that role in any way, but it happened in my 20s. And in the home, um, we've had 50 kids come through. And I became a parent unexpectedly, (laughs) an adoptive mom. Um, And I'm also a biological mom to two children, Ruby and Everest. Ah, okay. And they live there with you in Nepal. Yeah, yeah. So despite all of those, (laughs) you know, so many years of people being like, you're never going to meet anyone. How will you ever meet anyone? It ended up happening, I found. (laughs) I had a little love story in there and um, Jeremy, my husband ended up moving to Nepal with me and we're raising a family there with our, with the rest of my family. So he's, he's from, he's from here. He's from Canada. From Canada. Yeah. And where did you meet him? I happened to be speaking at an event and he was there and we connected. He was, we were kind of match made by a mutual friend and we hit it off immediately. Ah, like, wow. whoa, before before we go here, we need to, like, we need to come to Nepal and see all of this. And he right. did, and he loved it. And it's become a part of our life now together. Wow. wow. So, so you envision the rest of your years there? I mean, is this just always going to be your calling? I think so. I mean, until I don't need to have this... <laughs> Like, are we going to get there, you think, in our lifetime, Mitch? I don't know. Well, your lifetime's a lot longer than mine. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure I can answer no. the question for you. Uh, you know, the, the years that I have left are going to be a lot shorter. Wouldn't it be uh, amazing if we didn't, like, yeah. like, wouldn't it be amazing if we found a way to make sure and all agree as a human family that our children deserve love and nurturing basic human needs like right and that we didn't you know have to because we all figured this out you know like I, that's the end goal obviously um yeah. would you love to just retire on a beach in hawaii <laughs> sure who wouldn't <laughs> all children are safe and like we found a way to like make sure that everybody had an opportunity and that there were no orphans yeah. oh well, I, I always say to our kids, you know, your job is to grow up and put us out of business, yeah. uh, you know, create, ah, yeah. create, create a better world so that we don't need a place like ours. But yeah. uh, history has shown that that's probably not going to be the case and that they're always going to be the needy and they are always going to be those who can help in need. But I think you've given us a great example of, of how you can uh, pursue your dreams and Maury spoke a lot about not buying the culture. Uh, mm. If you don't like the culture, don't buy it. You are not locked into it. Just because you're American, just because you're British, just because you're Brazilian, doesn't mean you therefore have to live 
the quote unquote Brazilian lifestyle, the quote unquote American way. If you something appeals to you that's off the beaten path, pursue it, follow it. And Maggie, you have done that, uh, and, and yet you retain the. You know, you, it's not like we're conducting this interview in whatever language they speak in Nepal. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, and it doesn't. It's not like you don't sound like you're from America. It's not like you don't have memories of growing up here, whatever. Uh, you took all that, and then you and then you took a right turn, and you went down a different path. And I think that's exactly the kind of thing that Maury really celebrated. Is is mm-hmm. you know, take take the most that you can, take the education that you can get, and then do something with it that doesn't necessarily have to be what everybody else has done before. And you have, you have really gone where very few have gone and done what very few have done and your children will be the better for it. And your legacy will be every one of those 500 kids and the 500 that come next and, and next and next and next, uh, and they will change the world. So, you know, you're, you're, you're really embodying that whole idea of, uh, you know, change one life, change the world. And you're doing it a lot. I'm not surprised that you've been named, gosh, Woman of the Year by Glamour Magazine and CNN Hero of the Year. And you have a new book out called Between the Mountain and the Sky, which is uh, details this, this entire journey. And we encourage people to pick that up and, and read about Maggie's story. And Maggie's, uh, not only do I admire what you're doing, Maggie, I, I admire the way you're doing it, you know, because you're you're not airdropping in, taking a couple of photos, and then coming back and telling everybody what they need to do. You're living the actual life there. And um, there's no substitute for that. So thank you for sharing your story with us. And, and I'm, I'm so pleased to, to find out that we had a bit of a connection even before we met each other. I just oh, yeah. didn't know about it. And uh, Thank you. Thank I you think, for your work. We got to yeah. keep fighting the good fight, and we're in this together. And well, I would love to come and see your place sometime. Uh, please, I, please do. I'll we bring love. a big sack of books with me. <laughs> like Johnny Appleseed. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie Doyne. Uh, and uh, you can find out so much more about uh, Maggie on, on uh, Facebook at uh, Maggie Doyne or Instagram, uh, Maggie Doyne, D-O-Y-N-E. Uh, and uh, website, if you want to see everything that she's doing, maggie-doyne.com on the web. That's going to wrap it up for today's conversation, which has just, just been a joy. And it's, it's wonderful to hear. And folks, just, just take, the, take the lesson of, you know, if you have a dream of helping, it's never too late and never too old. Uh, you can, you know, Maggie started doing this when she was 19. I started doing what I'm doing in Haiti when I was 50. Uh, and so whatever age you are, it's never too late to help the world and you will grow as a result of it. I promise you that. Lisa Goitz produces this program. I thank her for that. And until next time, when we get a chance to converse, remember our website is wetuesdaypeople.com. You can find out everything there is to know about this show and past shows there, wetuesdaypeople.com. I am your host, Mitch Album, saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.